0: Welcome to the North Texas District Leadership Podcast. This is a resource from and for those of us serving Jesus with the North Texas District of the Assemblies of God. Hope all is well for you and yours today. Hope you're finding joy in serving Jesus and his cause. And so in this fellowship that we're all a part of in the North Texas district, if you've ever been to really any district event, if you've ever been to anything sort of larger picture um, out of your church, even in section, I'm sure you've heard the term Target 1000. And this is really the hairy, audacious goal, the mountaintop for the district, that we want to see a healthy church in every community. And honestly, and I'm here today again with our Church Planting and Development Director, Mike Harper. Hello, Mike. Hello. Good to be here. So, we, our former superintendent, Rick DeBose, always said this We realize it'll take more than 1,000 churches to uh, get a healthy church in every North Texas district community, but uh, I think 1,000 is big enough to start with. What do yeah, you think?
1: I do too. It's a daunting task.
0: And so, last week, you sort of said where we were. You said we're around 650 right Correct. now. Right, right at 650. And so, if we're going to get to target 1,000, church planning is going to be a big part of that, isn't
1: it? It's the only way we're going to get there.
0: So last week, you focused us on uh, breaking the 200 barrier. So that would be hopefully a valuable contribution to churches during a, in a common growth season barrier of 200. But today, we're going to talk about what this other major part of it will be, not revitalization and growth, but just starting new and starting from scratch. What does this part of your of job look like, church planting director? What is a day when you're focused in that vein? What does it look like for you?
1: That's a great question. I think probably the vast majority of my time and effort is trying to identify, connect, recruit, train, encourage people who God is already dealing with their heart somewhere, somehow, about a transition and the possibility of planting a church. So I have conversations, breakfasts, lunches, and dinners all the time with people who are saying, I don't know if it's today, six months, a year, five years down the road, but talk to me about the kind of a person that is successful at planning a church.
0: And so you've done this. Yep. You've planted, planted churches twice. yourself. And how, whenever you were looking, going that direction, why planting and not assuming leadership of an open church? What sort of things were going through your mind then that, um, how God took you this direction of, I want you to go start something with no people, with no resources, no building,
1: because that's a big decision. But how did you make that decision? I think there were two driving factors that, Contributed to that first, I had connected with a pastor who was very uh, vision oriented about planting churches, and he had kind of cast that vision as part of the DNA of that house. We we're going to be a multiplying church, and as I spent time with him, there were two big factors that I think he kind of drilled into my psyche and into my soul and my spirit. The, the first was just the command of Matthew sixteen eighteen. Jesus says, I will build my church. And this idea is that it is something that is continually being built, not that, not that it's just already built. Yeah. So I will build, meaning that it's an ongoing. And so therefore, part of this process is how do we deal with the guys that are already built the church? But this idea of what is God doing to build new churches? I think there were two factors that he really put into my heart. The first was this, that there's really nothing that advances the kingdom more than church planting. Now, I'm not talking about missions, and but I'm talking about that church plants really advance the kingdom. Uh, The statistic that he put into me and helped me realize is that within the first five to seven years of a normal church plant, they lead ten times more people to faith than a traditional church does in its next ten years. So this idea that the missional piece— which is a big part of who I am, wanting to fulfill this mission of Christ and being a part of the mission, that, that if I'm going to engage my effort, time, energy, I want to be at a place where it's going to help me reach more people to faith for faith because my primary gifting really is evangelism. That's probably when you boil me down to my Raw uh, gift mix. It's really that issue of advancing the kingdom of God through evangelism. And so planting churches is the most effective way of reaching more people to Christ, just like the statistic that says that most people get saved before the age of 18. That's why children's ministry is so very important, youth ministry is so very important, that's why church planting is so very important because it leads more adults to Christ in those first five to seven years of their launch history than most churches do. The, the second thing that he really taught me is that church. Church plants advance the kingdom of God long beyond uh, their existence as a church plant. Where this kind of factors into me is in Acts chapter sixteen, Paul goes in his what we call his second missionary journey, and right. he plants he plants six churches on this six, this missionary journey. Now, the reality is none of those churches are open today. I mean, really. So he plants, what is it, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, uh, Corinth, uh, who am I missing? Uh, Yeah, I could say it, but I'm not going to say it. Philippi. I want to see you work. Yeah, Philippi. Yeah, yeah. And Ephesus. So he plants all six of those churches. None of those are in existence today. But out of those four churches come letters that become four books of the Bible that are having an eternal impact upon the kingdom of God today. And I think what you see, what really motivated motivated me to plant a church was that what God, the new methodologies that are happening in the world today tend to come out of this missional advancement piece, that front edge, cutting edge group that typically comes from that church planting world. And so Paul, Paul is impacting the kingdom of God through his church plants today through the scripture and the the church plants that we're experiencing today are going to have impact upon the kingdom moving forward as well. So I was kind of motivated by that cutting edge, being on that that leading edge, that bleeding edge of advancement and the idea of reaching more people for faith. So
0: with church planting so important but not for not for everyone. No. By no means is it for everyone. And so one of the things that has developed and this is uh, I think a product of our I think, in a sense, advancements of analysis and even church history and denominational history of knowing people who have done it. And uh, are there some commonalities among those who flourish? Are there some commonalities among those who say, whoa, missed it? Shouldn't have done that. You know, that wasn't me. And so whenever you're taking a potential planter through a process, you have an assessment that we're going to get into a little bit today. So we are going to focus, friends, on six characteristics, um, six primary characteristics of more of a potentially successful church planner. But Mike, tell us the context for these. Where does it come from?
1: This comes from a, an assessment created by a man by the name of uh, Dr. Ridley, and Dr. Ridley is a believer. He happens to be a professor at the University of Texas A and M, which I'm not really happy about being a UT fan, uh, but still, it has proven, in spite of his environment, yes, to be a very profitable, <laughs> to be fairly useful. It's, yeah, it's, it's it's amazing how he is can use the those jawbone guys. in the hand. In <laughs> exactly. Sense. Yeah. So he created an assessment that is pretty much the industry standard today. And that assessment has 13 characteristics. Uh, Those 13 characteristics are kind of scaled a little bit. So what I want to talk with you today about those first six, which would kind of be a knockout in boxing terms. Uh, You get dazed by one of these. You can rally. But if you get a combination of a couple of these working against you, the, the issue is you need to be thinking, how am I going to plant a church? Am I going to pastor a church that plants churches? You can still be a church planter. Right. By doing it that way, or am I actually going to be the person on the front lines to plant the church?
0: Now, that's a really good point, because any time you start talking about trends or criteria, if we're not careful, we can either grow too easily discouraged. Right. Well, gosh, I knew I couldn't yeah. do it. Or we can get unnecessarily upset. How dare you put me in a box? Look at this. This is just another non-spiritual right. thing, trying right. to make the kingdom of God into some secular... okay. Everybody settle down. Yeah. Neither one of those things are necessary. Right. So, But these are trends. They're valuable. So let's walk through these, Micah. The first one that you're going to talk to us about is this idea of there being an apostolic slash entrepreneurial element within the man or woman or couple who you're... Yeah, wanting to see plants.
1: Yeah, I, I think the uh, the entrepreneurial piece gets people in the way because we're it does you know we're, we're kingdom people, but it's just a descriptor. Right. I really lean on the apostolic, but even in our world, sometimes people who talk about the apostolic, I'm not talking about the office with a capital A. Right. I'm more talking about the function with a lowercase a. To see something somewhere where something's not established. Correct. Yeah, they view, they have an apostolic functionality to them, a perspective rather than an office. So for me, uh, what the entrepreneur as well as the apostolic person have in common is, is exactly what you just described. They see opportunities where no one else does. Instead of a lack of resources. Correct potential. Yeah. The, the classic story, when I'm meeting with these church planners, I always tell them this little story about a shoe company that sends a shoe salesman to India. He gets off the airplane and spends all day roaming the streets of India, calls back the company and says, send me an airplane ticket. I'm coming home. Nobody wears shoes here. <laughs> right. Versus the next company sends a guy and he goes, gets off the airplane, spends a day and says, hey, calls home, send me every pair of shoes you can find because nobody wears shoes here. So it's just a perspective piece. And I think the issue that really helps describe that, number one, they see opportunity. But number two, I think the bigger factor is they they are not adverse to risk. The apostolic, the entrepreneur, when you read Paul's life, you don't have to read very far. He was shipwrecked, beaten. Uh, There's a lot of risk involved with what Paul did, but he was not adverse to risk. To the risk, and church planters tend to be entrepreneurial. By entrepreneurial, I don't mean that they've made a fortune. It it doesn't mean that they've got a buttload of money and they can just kind of live off of their, you know, cash cow forever. No, what really means is that they have a tendency to be starters. They start things. It may not have always been successful, but they started something, and even whether it failed or succeeded. Their propensity was, I'm going to keep starting something. So they they have this opportunity orientation that they see about themselves. And it's it's contagious, and it's very easy to recognize the people who have that kind of spiritual gifting and temperament uh, that's directly hardwired into them from God. And so if they, if they don't,
0: let's hit the negative side of that. If, if they don't have this entrepreneurial sense or apostolic sort of willingness, what sort of problems might a person who's just not bent that direction struggle
1: with on if they were to go out and plant a church? Yeah, what you see is they don't have the bounce back factor, easily discouraged. Uh, everything is insurmountable. Uh, it becomes a personal attack uh, versus those people who tend to be entrepreneurial. That's just a problem to be solved. Well, we, I can get over it. That's just a hurdle. I've overcome more than this. Uh, you know, I can do this. So they don't bounce back. Uh, and over a period of time, if you believe that people are a resource, that whether you're an organization or a church or a leader has to manage and to give account for, which is huge, you want to make sure that the people that you're putting into this, this area of planting a church, carving a church out of nothing, are the right kinds of people. There was a reason why... The master gave the principle of the steward. He gave one more than the other ones right? because he knew he had the capabilities of doing more with that. And so if we're going to view Paul, if he'd had a bad church experience – he hadn't been entrepreneurial, he probably wouldn't have planted six. But because he was apostolic and he, he overcame the risk, he overcame all the adversity, he kept planting. And the, the, what we're looking for as a movement, if North Texas is going to get to a thousand healthy churches, we need guys who just don't plant one and done. But they say, this is my calling. I'm, I see more opportunities, more locations, more cities that need a thriving church. I want to do it again versus like, oh, Lord. I'm never going to do, gonna that, do that, again.
0: that again. Okay, so we see that apostolic entrepreneurial right. bent. Um Secondly, you have people who might thrive with church planting are great communicators.
1: Yeah, they are. Uh, you would think that we would put a great preacher there.
0: I, and I know this about you, you. You make a distinction. I do make there. it. I bifurcate those two. So you are not necessarily saying if you're going to be a good church planter, you will be the prince of preachers. Yeah, you got to shut. Better than everyone. Got to shut
1: the corn. You got to do it. Yeah, I don't know no. what I'm saying. Is that the larger uh, umbrella is communication? Preaching is a subset of communication. It's a style. It's a a type of communication. Um, as a church planter, if you try to make it on a as a preacher only, you rush the process of. You kind of skip over creating a team, creating environment because all you know how to do is preach, and you 've got to stand behind a pulpit and preach right versus uh being a great communicator in church planting the first six months to a year, depending on the model you use it's sitting across the table like you and I are mm-hmm. and so being able to communicate with people effectively not only publicly but privately, is a, is a hallmark that you see in most church planters. They are exceptional communicators. Uh, very few non believers, the people that the church is really trying to reach, have preaching set on their dial and their podcast or the radio. It's an acquired taste. It's, it's a communication style that you move into, but everyone loves great communication. It's the songs we listen to, the movies that we go to. We're drawn into someone's ability to lift us to another level through their communication. And so the overarching piece for effective church planters – now, they're going to be good preachers, but what you find about them overarching is they're good whether it's in private or whether it's in a group setting as well. Right. You know who comes to mind?
0: As you're talking about this, is Me. A, one of yes, no, you. no, no, joking, no, so, playing <laughs> is a church planner in College Station, uh, Eli Stewart. Oh, absolutely, uh, I've, I've had the opportunity to observe this from knowing him so long. But that guy, he would fit the whole adage of he could sell ice to yeah, someone absolutely. living in Alaska. Uh, he just has a way of, um, that sounds sneaky. What I'm saying is, Eli, if you listen to this, what I'm saying is, Eli has a way of sitting with you, talking with you about what the Lord is doing, and making 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 you want to be a part of it. It's great communication.
1: It is. It's great. And it doesn't have to be uh, scripture and verse oriented, you know, or, you know, I'm not effective unless I'm I'm giving you the scripture and verse piece for that. No, no, no. It is, I'm casting the vision because you've got to cast the vision for people to join you into this process. And if they cannot relate with you across the table, they're not going to come and sweat, blood, tears, sacrifice, leave where they are, and come forge some. So there's this piece of this communication piece that is essential right. for great communicators. And
0: communication would roll into this next element that you, that you have us talking about here, which is if someone's going to plant a church, they're going to need to be or grow into being a capable fundraiser.
1: Yeah, fundraising.
0: No one wants to plant a church no. so that they can fundraise. Yeah, no yeah. one has successfully, to my knowledge, put the fund in fundraising. <laughs> oh, that's a great way of putting it. Actually, my friend, Mary Viloni, oh, she's yeah. a fundraising consultant, uh-huh. and she puts the fun in fundraising for right. herself, Yeah, not for me. An author,
1: Bill Hybels, when he talks about planting Willow Creek, which is decades and decades ago, he said that my church was going to survive on my ability to be the chief resource creator. In other words, when you leave a church... The existing that you're a part of, they they are fully equipped. Sound systems, chairs, pews, buildings, napkins, the the little wafers for communion. They have everything. A church plant leaves that behind and gets absolutely nothing. They walk out the door with nothing but a dream. Anything that they are going to acquire and that they're going to need, that are necessities – for planning an effective church in any whatever, whatever the context they may be in. It's going to require money. And so for them to be able to raise money, it comes back to this communication skill, and it also comes back to this entrepreneurial piece. They are not afraid of the ask. So they, they know that there's something inside them that is compelling. And so when you're with an effective communicator who is believing that God has asked them to plan a church, when they ask you to partner with them financially, you're compelled to do so. And so they tend to be great fundraisers. Now, I would say to you that most of them don't know they're great fundraisers from the beginning. On the assessment process, no one scores high on fundraising. Most would probably assume that they're going to be awful fundraisers. Yeah, exactly. But what you find is that they have had some skill sets along the way that contribute to that. So fundraising is a skill that they can learn, but the most effective church planners, they embrace it and go, you know, and it can be drill candid, you're going to be in ministry for the rest of your life, and so therefore you need to be a fundraiser, period. Right. It doesn't matter. There's yeah. always going to be another building. There's always going to be another staff member. There's always going to be another project. And so effective fundraising, most churches, not most, a lot of churches, don't move to the next level because they have not become – the key leader has not become an effective fundraiser.
0: And I will say this just by way of encouragement if you're listening to this and, and this idea of fundraising really throws you or discourages you. You are in luck my friend because you happen to have been born into really a golden age yeah. of training. Yeah. You do not just have to come up with all this yourself. There are a lot of people doing kingdom work who have had
1: to work through yeah. this. But who, we tr- we provide training. Um I mean, the, the the training that Kaiapa uses to train their missionaries is the very same training we use to train our church planters in how to raise funds. And so fundraising will be a part of it. Being comfortable with the lost
0: is yeah. also going to be a part of it. Your your circle of friends that you left from the church you were attending that were pretty much all Christians with hopefully some people they were trying to bring to the kingdom, uh, unless you're planning on just growing by a church transfer, you better be comfortable with the lost. Yeah,
1: I met with a young guy the other day, Who said to me, "I want to plant a church in this town." He said to me, "Do you think there's enough Assemblies of God people in that town for me to start a church?" And I'm like, "Not North Texas, man. This is this is not. You know, the little Ichthus, It's the sign of the fish. The goal (laughs) is not to transfer Ichthus from one Christian aquarium to another Christian aquarium. That's really not the goal of this. The goal is." Jesus came, I said, I came to seek and to save the lost. So the people who are church planters that are the most effective at it, they are completely comfortable in a world that is foreign to most Christians. Right. They are not intimidated by gages and, and lifestyle, uh, lifestyle choices, homosexuality, lesbianism. It doesn't matter drinking, living together, uh, language, profanity. None of the, it just they do, they're not bothered by it. Not only are they're not bothered by it, but there's something attractional about them that they feel comfortable with non-believers but non-believers feel comfortable with them. That's what Jesus was. Jesus. The religious people today, the they were uncomfortable with with that, the fact that Jesus was comfortable and they were comfortable with Jesus. Sinners and tax collectors. Exactly. Were he's a through. friend. They said he's a pejorative. He's a friend of sinners. But most church planters are extremely comfortable. Once again, They believe in the mission of Christ. Mm -hmm. They are so missional. And because they are missional, they believe in the transformative work of the cross. So the church planter believes, hey, he may or she may be living this lifestyle. But when they're exposed to the to authentic Christianity and the work of the cross and what the scripture can be applied to their life, I believe transformation is going to occur. So they are very comfortable in an environment where most pastors wouldn't be comfortable.
0: Right. And so this is something you see a lot with church planters, because again, they are starting with no resources, there's not a paycheck yep. necessarily waiting. You see a lot of men and women go work go work at a coffee shop, yeah, absolutely. take some sort of short-term job in the community that, um, that maybe isn't their end career goal, and they're not wanting to necessarily stay by vocational, but that type of thing has been the bedrock of how they built the yep. initial relationships and seeing people come to know Jesus, and those people eventually becoming, uh, I I mean, board members, Absolutely. volunteers, Absolutely. long-term faithful servants of God.
1: My coach, when I planted my first church in, in Chandler, Arizona, his name is Robin Wood, an amazing church plant uh, coach, non assumes of God. We didn't have launch and all the things that we have today, all the training sure. components when I planted. I'm ancient. But Robin said to me, you've got to engage in the community. You You, you just can't just work a secular job. You've got to engage. And he said, what have you done? I said, Well, I play baseball and he goes, Okay, you need to you need to get on a baseball team. You need to pitch. You need to be a coach in a little kids because the community's all about reaching young families. So I became coach for a, a little team, a little, little league team and Just so happened that year we went undefeated. I think it was the favor of the Lord. And then everybody wanted to be on the team that I was coaching from that point in time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the people who planted the church with me, they were families that I had coached their kids and they were far, living together, a lesbian couple. I mean, just all kinds of different people. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I was engaged in their life, and they were engaged in my life, and it was an authentic relationship, not just – I loved them. I wasn't just trying to get them to come to my church. They were people who were far from God, and I loved them. And uh, they all didn't join my church. But it it had to be the fact that I was comfortable in their world because I had to be the bridge into my world. That's right. And, and so I was the only believer that most of them knew, and so I represented what church could be and what church should be for those people. So they have to be very comfortable in that world. That's fantastic.
0: So comfortable with the lost. And, yep. and let's wrap up on our last two. Hmm? Uh, team builder. Oh, yeah. So church planning seems by nature to be, because it does come down to very often a man or a woman or a couple saying, God, I will do
1: this. Like, yeah. we will go there. But it doesn't have to stay that simple. No. I think it initially starts there. Uh, the, the model that we use today is all team-based. When right. I planted my first church in 1993, I would call it a Rambo model. I know Rambo's old, and but it was this... <laughs> hey, there's another one coming oh, up, I haven't seen it, but um, here's the deal with him. By the sheer force of his will... He could be dropped behind enemy lines, and he was going to win. That was the only model that we had up until the mid-2000s. The problem with the model was that the mortality rate of those of us who planted a church in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s was about 50%. Most of us didn't survive those first five years. And if, the, if church planters are a resource that you want them to do it over and over and over again, if you're killing off half your potential sex and second, third generation church planters because your model... Is toxic and, and not uh, sustainable, then it you change. Mm-hmm. So the change has been, which fits this new culture, the millennial culture, everybody does everything inside of a team. So today, our success rate of surviving that first five to seven years, which in the 80s and 90s was very low, mm-hmm. today we're 95, 97%. A lot of, we train so much better today than we did. Right. But we understand the nature of the beast. We focused on Paul, but the reality was Paul took a crew with him everywhere he went. And in the 90s, we just focused on Paul. You just got to be this entrepreneurial, apostolic kind of guy. You're going to go out there and face the battle and be David and kill a Goliath yourself. But we inadvertently left out Paul, Timothy, and Barnabas and all the guys who traveled with him. Right. And today... We're much more cognizant that the body of Christ functions together when we work together as a body yes we need a leader but we also need those surrounding gifts around them and those early days of, of house gatherings yep. and just
0: getting together wherever and however you can a person or three alongside you yeah. who knows what you're trying to do and is praying just as hard yeah. as you is it means the world it does it it, it, really it, does. it gives you that survivability factor It sure does. So apostolic, apostolic bent, great communicator, capable fundraiser, need to be comfortable with the loss, need to be able to build a team. And then uh, the last one we're going to hit on today, and I, I believe in this so much, Mike, is spousal support. Yeah. You have to, my mentor, Gerald Brooks, always said, he said, your calling determines if you'll do ministry, but your spouse will determine how well and will determine how long. Nobody can make it forever with someone who they're married to, but wants to leave ministry at the nine to five.
1: Your spouse either energizes or neutralizes your ministry. And I think often when we think about spousal support, we think my wife or my spouse works to support me. That is not this context at all. It's really this 100% partnership. They feel equally called to the venture. The, The negative thing about having a great communicator who is apostolic is they have a tendency to be able to talk people into things. Mm -hmm. It'd be pretty easy for a person who loves their spouse, who feels called to this, to just kind of tag along. Well, I'm just going along for the ride. But in church planting, what we realize is that because you are pushing back the forces of darkness, you're charging the gates of hell. You tend to be whoever is the weakest party there gets that first spiritual attack. Mm -hmm. So it's not uncommon for us to see a church planter that their wife— suddenly has uh, an illness that comes out of nowhere. Uh, a child has a sickness or uh, a problem. They've never been bullied before. And all of a sudden, now yes. they move to a new school and their child is just mercilessly bullied. I believe that's a spiritual attack. And so without this equal support, the devil is always, who is the, our adversary, is looking for the weakest committed member of the team to launch a spiritual attack there Mm. to pull the whole team down. And if the spouse, particularly, and the team around them are not equally committed to the venture of advancing the mission of Christ in a local context through the efforts of a local church plant— Wow.
0: Well, so these are the big six. Big six, yeah, absolutely. Of a, of a number of these. Um, if someone's interested in, in planning a church, our, our web address, guys, is northtexas.ag. And uh, Mike, of course, they can find you there, get in contact with Correct. you, your office. Um, what would be, just by way of closing here, what would be a closing encouragement that you would give to, um, to somebody who's thinking that maybe this is what the
1: Lord has for them? You know, first of all, I would say go talk to a church plant director. Go read a book on church planting. Pray. Listen to these this podcast and say, are those things really true of me? I also think it would be very beneficial if, if I had these things. I would go to someone like you, Lennon, and go, okay, I heard this podcast. I think I'm entrepreneurial. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think I'm a pretty good team builder. What do you think? So -hmm. I think the self-awareness piece, the affirmation that comes to us through brothers and sisters in Christ who know us is huge. And people who really love us will tell us, yes, I see this in you. Mm -hmm. Or, no, I don't see that in you. But some of these things are – you can be coached up. If I can use that language, I can, I can increase your effectiveness there by some skill training. So I would say talk to someone who's done it. Number two, join a team. Number three, talk to friends and say, do you see these qualities inside of me? That's great.
0: Well, friends, thank you for being with us today and giving this a listen. Um Share this with somebody who you think it might be relevant to. And uh, we want to say this, whether you're in Mahaya, Mason, or any other part of the North Texas district or God's wide world, uh, thank you for listening, and we hope you have another great week serving Jesus and his bride, the local church.